week's episode of Compound Your Knowledge. Ryan's traveling this week, so I'm going to be doing the episode solo. So I'll be summarizing the papers, kind of just giving you my big takeaway from the paper. So we had three papers on the Alphartec website this week. I'm going to go over each of them. The first one was a remarkable new factor, the cash conversion cycle. This was written up by West, or summarized by West. The original paper was by Boolean Wang. And this paper is actually highlighting and suggesting that we should use a new factor, or there's a new factor that can be, uh, that has some explanatory power. And so the factor that they talk about is cash conversion cycle. And at some level, this helps to measure how well companies are managing the capital with which they have to work, right? So the cash conversion cycle uh, can kind of be broken down into three pieces, right? You can have the day that a sale is in inventory, so how long your inventory is in place. Uh, a day a sale is outstanding, kind of from when you make the sale to when you actually receive cash. And then the other one is days payable outstanding, right? And days payable is if you need to purchase in, um, materials to make something, right? How long can you extend your, your payable period? How quickly do you need to pay your vendors, right? And this, uh, this factor, this cash conversion cycle, right? So if you put those three pieces together, it, you come up with one factor called cash conversion cycle. And the author finds that the alphas in this paper are around five to 7%, which is pretty significant. Um, interestingly enough, and this is neat as asset pricing literature is moving forward, uh, this is a newer paper, it's gonna be in a top journal. What we see now is that since there are multiple asset pricing models, not just the final French three-factor model and four-factor, um, the paper has to test this strategy and this factor, the cash conversion cycle, against a multitude of models. So it shows significant alpha when looking at the three-factor model, the four-factor model where you add momentum, the final French five-factor model, the Luzang Q-factor model, as well as the standby one mispricing model. Um, so it's an interesting thing, uh, highlighting that empirical asset pricing appears to be now using, you just kind of have to show uh, how your factor runs against all these different models. Um, there's interesting takeaways in the paper. Um, I don't really say this that often, but I actually think it's a factor and something most people, it's probably worth looking at, to be quite honest with you. Um, when we put this out uh, on Twitter, interesting commentary feedback, uh, this was actually discussed by Michael Mobison uh, back in 1999 for, uh, in an in a, in a article he wrote. Um, and in the article, actually, uh, there's a neat image, which I'll uh, highlight here and discuss, uh, where they basically showed it was Dell's stock. And it basically talked about the, how Dell's cash conversion cycle went from about 30, 40 days and over the course of a couple of years, they actually got this down to negative 10 days. And correspondingly, you saw this very large uh, increase in their stock price. So um, to summarize, this is an interesting factor, an interesting uh, variable that I think people should probably investigate, uh, especially if you're doing like individual stock selections. Um, the second paper uh, was investment strategy in an uncertain world. This was written by Larry Swedro. And in Larry's article, what he talks about is kind of the difference between you know, risk and uncertainty, right? 
And Larry's big point, at least from my takeaway, right, is risk is something you can calculate, but uncertainty is really how a lot of us tend to invest, right? We don't know that certain events are going to happen, like wars, 9-11, etc., right? And so one way in which an investor can uh, potentially build a different portfolio than a standard one is to take on different types of risk within the portfolio and hopefully you know they they help pay off so what larry shows is standard 60 40 portfolio right is just buying u.s stocks uh, and then look he uses five-year treasury bonds as the bond portfolio right and an example there is you know what larry shows is if we say stocks have a 20 percent volatility or standard deviation and bonds have a five percent standard deviation. Well, then your overall risk, right? He, if you multiply your weight times your risk is 1200 for stocks. So 60% weight times 20% vol, 1200. On the bond side, you have a 40% weight times a 5% vol. So in total, your risk, amount of risk you're taking is 1400. But of that 1400, one notices that 1,200 of that is driven by stocks. So the majority of your risk is actually driven by you know, one allocation to stocks. So Larry says, hey, what if you take on alternative types of risk, right? And in efficient markets, we should expect that most risk reward payoffs are similar, right? So Larry suggests, hey, let's just look at something that we have data on going back to the early 1990s, which is, allocating slightly more towards the size risk and value risk. And by doing that, he creates a portfolio that's now 40% stocks, but using the DFA small cap value fund and 60% bonds, right? So now your, your net risk, assuming the vol is similar, right, is actually gone down. And he shows the returns have increased, but that's because you also, uh, you know, in, in, Assuming that value and size are risk-based explanations, which there's very valid reasons to believe that, you're taking on these additional risks, and your net portfolio returns were similar, actually they were quite higher, with less volatility. So Larry goes on to talk about you know, other ways in which you could build a portfolio, right? So risk parity is one, whereby you allocate more towards less risky investments. You could also use a one-over-n approach, whereby we allocate towards different types of investments uh, and just do one over N, right? There's a multitude of ways with which one can allocate uh, risk, right? Larry talks about some other alternative investments, right? Such as uh, uh, cat bonds, right? And other stuff in the paper. But it's an interesting article and I think everyone should read it. So the third article, this week is called Distracted Institutional Investors. This was summarized by Tommy and it was originally written and the paper is going to be a top journal by Daniel Schmidt. So this is an interesting paper where it goes to actually test whether or not institutional investors themselves get distracted, right? Normally a lot of times we assume, hey, individual investors have these biases, they make these mistakes, right? And, you know, but, but we, we should kind of reasonably expect that institutional investors might not, right? They have staffs, they have data, they have a lot of information, so they shouldn't really get distracted. And the paper starts with a neat uh, idea. 
And the question is, let's say there's two fund managers, one and two, right? And fund one, or actually manager one, has allocations to stocks A and B, whereas a manager two has allocations to A and C, right? And so if there's information about stock B, which only manager one holds, the natural question is, does the manager one who holds B, whereas the manager two does not, does this manager kind of become distracted and not pay as much attention to A relative to manager two? And what the paper finds is that this does occur. So in the image in the, in the uh, paper, which I'll highlight here, you see that as you move from less to more distracted, there's actually less trading that occurs when there's more distractions, right? So, and especially for those that trade more often, the, the change and the amount less, the, sorry, the, the decrease in trading goes down by about 7% in the highest quintile. Um, what the authors find is that generally this has negative uh, implications and the managers who get distracted end up paying higher trading costs. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and look forward to having you watch next week. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Alpha Architect itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. Alpha Architect does not resume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of Alpha Architect as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, Alpha Architect LLC, all rights reserved.